Welcome to the Disruptor Series Podcast, where we listen to and learn from people who are disrupting business, culture, and life. I'm your host, Rob Schwartz, and today I'm really excited to bring you a special episode. Today we're coming to you from a live recording from AdColor, where Disruptor Series founder Doug Melville interviews none other than the disruptor of culture and media himself, Snoop Dogg. Doug's also going to talk to Ryan Ford, who's the creative director of Snoop's agency. So without further ado, bow wow wow, yippee yo, yippee yay, Snoop Dogg is in the disruptor house. Take it away, Doug. We have a great guest here today, two actually, that are doing just that. Um, Snoop Dogg is the uh, ultimate uh, disruptor of culture, and... Uh, Ryan Ford is also here today who works alongside him. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna bring everyone out and uh, we're gonna get this party started and uh, do something fun and new. So first up, I'd like to give a big introduction to the EVP and Chief Creative Officer of Cashmere, the incredibly cool marketing collective made up of creative minds from the worlds of entertainment, advertising and new media, I'd like you to all give a round of applause to Ryan Ford. Next up, uh, we have a man who needs no introduction. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for entertainment icon Snoop Dogg. What's going on with you tonight? We, uh, we would have started at 4.20, but there were some scheduling problems. It's all good. I started at 4.20. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, first of all, thank you both for uh, coming to the Ag Color stage and finding time to share your voices and experience. Uh, we were just talking a little bit backstage, and uh, Snoop described this as the secret society of uh, multicultural and media. So right. uh, he's now going to unlock the key and, and share the message uh, with those in the space. I, I think, first of all, the thing I would notice is that uh, I like how you walked out here. Instead of with security, you have a chief creative officer with you. That's pretty, <laughs> like, uh, that's pretty 2017. Right. So um, a little origin story on how we met, actually. Uh, TBWA has our uh, campus in Playa del Rey, and we have our uh, media arts lab and Shia Day offices there. And uh, one day I was having lunch, and a girl came into the office and says, yo, Doug. I said, yeah, what's going on? She goes, there's lowriders and impalas. <laughs> people, there's a block party going on outside. And I said, let me go over there. And I go over there, and it was the Cashmere Agency right. uh, and the whole team having a party. Right. And uh, I walk in, I meet Ryan. And uh, he explains to me what they do there and uh, that Snoop is part of the family and right. they work together to create ideas uh, and drive the culture and hip hop forward, uh, true disruptors of the space. So Ryan, maybe you could talk a little bit about Cashmere Agency. And, yeah, and what I think on. what you saw is just like a Tuesday at Cashmere, right? <laughs> like, you know, with our work with Snoop, with our work with other brands like Adidas or PayPal or McDonald's, we're always trying to be disruptive. That's why we're on the disrupt 
disruptor panel, do you know what I mean? And when we moved over into that area, Playa Vista, they're calling it Silicon Beach now, obviously, but mm -hmm. I didn't know where we were moving because it was so off of the beaten path when it came to culture. But we knew OMD was there, we knew uh, uh, Shia Day was there, and we said, okay, we're gonna set up shop right here, and we're gonna dis disrupt some shit until someone notices us. Yeah. So it worked. Yeah. <laughs> I noticed you, I noticed you. So, um, Snoop, for you, what, what excites you about the ad business uh, today and creating with Ryan and the rest of the Cashmere folks and just with all the projects? Uh, when you think of advertising, uh, maybe let's go down the wormhole of what's going through your mind. Oh, man. Um, I remember when ad companies wouldn't touch me. They wouldn't, you know, give me the time of day. And I'm still the same person that I was back then that I, that I am today. But it just goes to show that you got to understand and master the craft of ad and marketing and promotion. So I'm great, but I got a great team of people around me that can, you know, execute my ideas and my, my thoughts. So that's what happened. I figured out how to take my brand, which was first and foremost, which was the Snoop Dogg brand, and make that more international and more global. And then from there, learn how to master doing it with other brands and breaking into the world of creating a brand new company such as Cashmere. Mm -hmm. Now, how did you two meet? How did you link up for the first time? Source Magazine, what, what year was it? We're talking about probably 2000, the year 2000. I was a freelance journalist at the time and I was still in, in uh, grad school uh, working for the Source Magazine. So me and Snoop share a deep love of hip hop in common. And right off the bat, you know, being on the West Coast, uh, I had the opportunity to meet a lot of the hip hop uh, stars and stuff that were on the West Coast and there was nothing bigger than Snoop at the time. And, uh, you know, I had a chance to go out to his house for the first time when I met him when he was recording. I think it was uh, Paid the Cost to Be the Boss mm -hmm. and sit there. And in the back of my mind, I always thought I was going to be a rapper until I, saw, <laughs> until I saw him go through the process and how smooth it was. And I was like, okay, well, let me focus on this journalism. Yeah. <laughs> so, so um, you know, but the thing was that the source is... <laughs> The thing at the source was, you know, when we showed up, it wasn't like Newsweek or the LA Times showing up, and Snoop had so much love for the source even before I got there. So when we had the opportunity to build about hip hop, which we still do today, he always knew that he was talking to someone else from the culture that wasn't there to set him up or to pull the okie doke, but was really there to share uh, his story and his words to all the other people around the world that loved hip hop so much. Yeah. I love that. Um, what, uh, what, what commercials are, are kind of catching your eye these days, Snoop? Do you, when you watch the TV, kind of what, what, what stands out to you? Is there a certain style or a, a brand or just something that when you're flipping no, through? No, actually, actually, I don't, that's why I'm different, because I don't really watch what they do. I'm too busy doing what I do, so. Mm -hmm. So, um, <laughs> good night, guys. Thank you very much. We'll see you. It's fine. We're good. We got it us covered. So uh, actually, I want to roll into uh, another clip, something that uh, was one of my favorite moments last year, and some folks here shared it to me. Uh, in a time where we're divided with red states and blue states, um, you created a project that was really the essence of diversity, uh, and that's Potluck uh, with Martha and Snoop. So. Um, <laughs> Someone got to bring us together. Someone got to do it. 
So uh, maybe you can kind of talk, how do you come up with an idea like that? Because everyone's going one way and you go the opposite way. That's, 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 that's the difference between not watching what's going on and just being, being yourself and creating your own lane. Martha Stewart is a beautiful person. She's always been a part of hip hop. She's always been connected to hip hop. And I've always been a cook and a chef and a, you know, what? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, those were some of the things that, you know, were a natural combination, not to mention our criminal records. But <laughs> those were a couple of things that naturally culminated us on becoming partners and becoming, you know, teammates and working together on screen. Because we have a beautiful time, as you see, when we on screen. We cooking, we learning from each other. She teaching me how to get drunk and how to cook at the same time. <laughs> so, Doug, you know what's so cool about that? I think you really hit on it. Like, when, when Snoop and Martha had this vision to bring it together, you know, VH1 brought us in. We were able to do the social media and some of the exper uh, experiential around it. But what's so cool about it is the fact that Martha's an old white woman and she's kicking it with a cool black dude, right? Mm -hmm. Like, that's really what, you know, you see Snoop continuing to do in his career is he shows up in places that black men haven't uh, supposed to show up at, or when they show up there, they're supposed to show up in a certain way. And uh, what we've been able to help him do and what he's been able to allow us to do is have him there right. You know what I mean? So he's always Snoop Dogg, no matter if it's with, uh, in the White House or if it's with Martha, uh, Martha Stewart. Well, I want to I attribute that to um, a conversation I had with a, a great actor by the name of Fred Williamson. He's a great actor from back in the 70s, the strong hammer. black actor. We call him the hammer. Once upon a time, I had a conversation with him and I was talking to him about, you know, Hollywood, because I was uncertain about where I wanted to be and the roles I wanted to play, because I kept getting auditions to play, you know, characters that I really didn't want to play. So he told me, he said it was a point in time in the 70s where he told Hollywood that he was going to make his own movies, or either, when he was in the movie, three things was that was gonna happen. He was gonna win all his fights, he was gonna get all the girls, and he was gonna live. So when he said that, I was like, okay, I'm gonna take that into my life and incorporate that into how I get out. There's gotta be certain limitations to things that I will allow and things that I won't allow, and I took that to heart. So I used that as my, like, three things that always happen to me. If you ever see me in something, I'm gonna win all my fights. <laughs> I'm going to get all the girls, and I'm going to live. That, that's, good. that's good advice for the freelancers, too. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you also worked on, uh, earlier today we touched a little bit on the movie Get Out, which right. is really the most talked about movie of the year. Right. Uh, I just watched it uh, the other night, uh, again, just to remind myself of what a great movie that is. Right. And uh, you were involved in that at the agency and really both of you guys together. So, right. uh, well, Get Out was something, every now and then, and there's a, a lot more of these projects these days, there's these projects that we target. And we say, we have to work on Get Out. Mm -hmm. We have to work on Atlanta that won all these Emmys last night, right? Yeah, clap it up. And, with, and we target them because we know that they're already resonating in culture. And when, from the minute that first trailer went on the BET Awards of Get Out and people had this what, uh, WTF moment, right? Like, what is this? We knew there was something resonating there. So we worked hand in hand with Universal. And as it started building, and Snoop was like, hey, I want to see the movie. I said, well, 
would you like to see it, uh, uh, do a screening? And he said, yeah. So we did a special smoker screening at the uh, silent movie theater on Fairfax. And Snoop brought all of his friends and kind of put a stamp on the movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and what was so cool about it is Snoop wanted to uh, stream the conversation afterwards with Lakeith Stanfield, who coincidentally played Snoop in Straight Outta Compton. So they had a very meta moment when Snoop and him were talking, and he wanted to put it on his Facebook uh, page uh, with uh, 36 million fans, right? So that took movie marketing and passion and building something around it, and Snoop was able to help that movie be successful even though he wasn't in it. Mm. Yeah, that's tight. But that's what we do for each other. Sometimes yeah. it's not about nothing but pushing the culture forward. You know what I'm saying? If we see something that we can help with, it's our job to do it. And it don't always have to come with a paycheck. And it don't always have to come with recognition. It comes from the heart. And that's where it's supposed to always come from. That's true. Uh, speaking of social, I just want to uh, head to your Instagram page, which is oh, you on do? fire. <laughs> yeah, we got to go. Oh no, we we don't we don't need to put it on the monitor. Okay, yes, hello. Every <laughs> hello. Um, you have one of the best Instagrams I've ever seen. It's like you're you're a DJ for memes. You know, you're remixing culture, you're you're reposting fans, posting all kinds of interesting uh, things. And just some stats, there's two billion monthly active users on uh, Instagram and Facebook, and you are the top hundred most followed people on Instagram. So that is really a remarkable, you're five spots ahead of Louis Vuitton, actually. <laughs> Just letting you know that hustle. Yeah, bow down, Louis. <laughs> and uh, with, with 32,000 posts, um, you, you're frequently on the platform. So kind of what inspires you? Where do you go to find, um, when, and do you control your own handle? Oh yeah, it's all me. And then I got a team of people that do like the, um, when you want to pay me to, promote for you, mm -hmm. you talk to them. <laughs> but yeah. the, the cool and the funny and the, you know, the real, the seriousness, the family, the sports, the antics, the rants, all that is me. And um, I've always been up close and personal. That's what has been the key to Snoop Dogg. He don't have a closet. He walks out in the living room and he tell you everything up front personal. So either you do or you don't. And Instagram allows me the opportunity to be me at all times. If it's three in the morning, and I'm making a song, I could turn on Instagram and I can allow you to come inside of the world with me. And you could give me some feedback and say, dog, that beat is whack. I don't hear you rapping on that. And I take your, I take your knowledge and say, you know what, you're right, I'm gonna try something else. But then again, I try stuff out on Instagram where I may slip something out for you to see. And if I get a million views on it, we finna press this up, man. Right. Yeah. This is the one, not the two. Right. Yeah. <laughs> You know what's, uh, what's cool about uh, Snoop is he's always been so open uh, uh, to engage with his fans in a more direct way. And Instagram is obviously one of those. That's why he has nearly 20 million followers, has nearly 20 million followers on Twitter as well. When we first went up to the Bay, uh, myself and a colleague, Nick Adler, we sat down with Kevin Sistrom at Instagram very early on. And in that meeting, we put Snoop on Instagram, put a post up, uh, at the time promoting some brand and he became the first celebrity on Instagram. So we saw Instagram about a year later sell for a billion dollars and we said, we're not doing that no more. So now Snoop is an investor in Reddit, he's an investor in Lyft, he's an investor in Pinterest and everything else that he does. He's now 
helping direct the culture and he's, and he's uh, helping build these platforms and building the brand. The key word is ownership. <clears throat> and a lot of us, we're not taught ownership in the beginning because we're so used to being on a slave ship that, and I'm just being real. We're so used to being in that worker mentality that we forget about becoming the boss. Ain't nothing wrong with being the worker, but at some point, I want to be the boss. Just because I feel like my knowledge and my understanding and me studying the job at hand will, you know, allow me to become a boss. And that's what happened. The music industry trained me to become a boss. I started off in the passenger seat with Dr. Dre, riding with Dr. Dre and Death Row Records. I love being in the shotgun seat. I love changing the tires and going to get the groceries. And I love doing that. But then it became a certain point where it was like, I'm the one that they want to see. I'm the one that they paying for. Why are they paying you to pay me? Let me cut this out. Let me see. Yeah, cut me in and cut it out. You pay me directly, and you get the service from me directly. Now I'm going to become the boss. Now I'm going to understand everybody's job that was working for me. So when I say I am a boss, I'm not just saying it, but I know Ryan's job. I know Ted's job. I know Brianne's job. I know Tiffany's job. Everybody that worked for me, I know their job. Not that I can do their job but I know their job. That's what qualifies me to become a boss because I understand your job. If you don't show up to work, guess what? The show don't stop because I am the boss. <laughs> Hell yeah. So let's go back to that time when you, doggy style, uh, broke out, global hit, sensation, took over he the world. He talked about my record. They talk, they, <laughs> yeah, they laughing. Get your mind out the gutter. Yeah, yeah. That was the name of my first record, Doggy Style. Yeah. Because the way you said People it, here you, born you here. didn't explain it right. Yeah, you yeah, said, yeah. let's go into this Doggy Style. <laughs> and you start moving your shoulders. I'm like, hold on, dog. <laughs> you got to explain it to him. Tell him what it is. You know, I forget. People don't know. Some people here weren't even born then. I'm sorry. Thank you. Um, so your first record, Doggy Style, yes. solo hit. <laughs> Off the chart, and uh, you made your TV debut on SNL, and that was really a defining moment. We got to get gangster rap, the culture, hip hop to the mainstream. Uh, I still remember uh, that year. I was a junior in high school, and when Snoop was on SNL, we were ready. So we actually pulled back a clip. It's a little blurry because uh, HD definitely wasn't rocking back in '94. But uh, <laughs> let's play that clip of your debut, Lottie Dottie. 1994 on SNL. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What we gonna do right here is we gonna get real smooth, you know what I'm saying? As we go a little something like this. Hit it! Lordy Dotty. Lordy Dotty. You know what, yo, pictures, Lordy Dottie, we like to party, we don't cause trouble, and we don't bother nobody, we're just the men who on the mic, and when we rock up on the mic, we rock the mic, right? For all my dogs, I'm keeping y'all in health, and just to see you smile and enjoy yourself, cause it's cool when you cause the cozy condition, and what we create, cause that's our mission, so listen close. 
do what we say Because these types of things happen every day I woke up around 10 o'clock in the morning I gave myself a stretch up for morning yawning Went to the bathroom to wash up I brushed the soap on my face and put my hands upon a cup And said a mirror, mirror on I got one question to ask you. Yeah. Was I higher or lower? Higher or lower? Yeah. Higher. You're correct. <laughs> Winning. Um, so you were wearing that Tommy Hilfiger shirt uh, on that show. So yeah. here you are, gangster rapper SNL, and you're rocking the Tommy Hilfiger rugby shirt. So how did that come to be? Because that was a huge cultural moment for their brand, and just uh, for a lot of different things came together around that particular performance. Well, Andy Hilfiger was a friend of mine at the time, and. Um, he had took me up to Tommy Hilfiger. Back then, rappers used to go to clothing companies and get a bunch of free shit. And just, mm -hmm. you know, they used to take us back there and we'd look at the clothes and we'd just grab a bag of clothes and just leave with it. So they was trying to get me to, to wear a particular style of clothes at Tommy Hilfiger. They had picked out an outfit. I'm like, man, I wouldn't wear that. I'm like, nah, cuz, nah. I said, let me wear what that mannequin got on. And they was like, the mannequin? I'm like, yeah, what the mannequin got on, cuz, that shirt right there with the Tommy on. They were like, well, it's not out yet. I'm like, man, let me wear it. And when I wore it, it became the top-selling shirt for their company, and it, it took them into hip-hop into another lane, which I wasn't paying no attention, because I was just, I was high as hell on there, as you can see. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't tripping off of none of that. I didn't even have no marketing, branding mind at all. I was just happy to get some free clothes and, and to be on TV or whatnot. But after I seen that position, I went back when I wasn't high, <laughs> and I talked to Andy Hilfiger, and he helped me create my own clothing line, which was Snoop Dogg Clothing. And I was able to jump into the clothing industry and try to get me some money from an owner perspective as opposed from a, somebody wearing your clothes, and you give me some free clothes, and you make a bunch of money off me. No, it's going to be the other way around. Yeah. Uh, Andy Hilfiger is actually the guy who uh, found me and got me started in my career. Andy's too. a, can I say this? He's a good nigga. Yeah. <laughs> And Andy is white, by the way. Yeah. So, you... I mean, he's right. All the things are true here. Everything is true. All the hip-hop would agree. Yeah. And Andy really, um, he is the coolest guy in the game. And uh, just so you, everyone knows, Tommy was the suit guy, and Andy was the music hustler culture yes. guy. Yes. And together, um, you know, when the suits first started, not a lot of people were rocking them. But then Andy came in there and ensured that people in the community and the culture and hip hop were able to wear the clothes and make them fresh. And it really launched the whole Tommy Hilfiger craze, um, really from that one SNL performance. So that yeah, was a see, but he was, smart. he was smart enough to know that at that time, hip hop was moving ahead of the culture, what people were doing, what we were doing. They was wearing what we was wearing. They were saying what we were saying. So he was smart enough to see that. Let me take hip hop and incorporate it into the clothing game because it's fashionable and kids will do what they see them doing and that's what happened. Tommy Hilfiger was a white-based company that became hip-hop based to where it has no color lines now and that's what it's supposed to be about, no color lines. 
People are people no matter what color they are. Mm -hmm. So, well, <laughs> the next story was going to be about being a gangster rapper, but not Talk after about that. Talk about it, go ahead. Um, so, I want, I, want, I, I want to show uh, the cover from Newsweek magazine. So, uh, you were rocking the source and other uh, culture-based magazines, but this... Let's see if I can make that face again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. North Korea still has nuclear bombs, too, 20 years later. That's what that say on the front? Yeah. We can't fix a problem in this Man, country. please. <laughs> so you go from the most violent guy in the game. Uh, you're in gangster rap. It's spreading East Coast, West Coast rivalry. Uh, it's all heating up. Uh, and then in 2012, we're cutting, fast forwarding, um, Trayvon Martin happened. And uh, the tone of your music and your messaging changed. And you released the No Guns Allowed music video. Uh, which actually was a social activism. And uh, I want to play a clip of that and, and, and have you talk about how uh, that came to be and, and what that meant. We gather here in memory of beautiful children. You came into the cafeteria and you could hear shotguns going off. a man and that's a crime if we all were rich we'd spend more time with our daughters and sons they're losing their minds we all feel hurt he's that pivot, that, that kind of yin and yang of the gangster rapper now socially conscious. Your daughter's actually uh, featured in that song as well. Um, I just got tired of all of the killing, man. Like, there's got to be a certain point in time where it's like somebody got to use their voice to, to try to make a difference. And for years, I was always the voice of let's go do it, you know, the other side of the voice. So I just wanted to to put some peace in the air because I felt like it was too much gun violence going on, it was too much negativity and wasn't nobody standing on top of it. And when I did it, naturally it didn't get the, um, the notoriety or the, the attention that I wanted it to get because it was speaking on something that was positive. And then a few weeks later I put out a gangster rap song where I was shooting somebody and doing negative and that song got a whole bunch of views. So I was just trying to figure out like, is it really right? for me to do this, or is it wrong for me to do this, knowing that nothing's gonna happen. But then when I did it, I got a bunch of relationships with people who, you know, were about the same cause that I was about. I got a chance to meet some of the parents of the people that was victimized from the gun violence, and we created all types of alliances with people who were about it, so it, it gave me hope. It made me feel like I did it for a reason, as opposed to when I do something good, they don't ever wanna give me credit. When I do something bad, TMZ and everybody wanna show up. But I didn't do it for credit. I did it for the fact that I felt like it was time to speak on it. And when I spoke on it, Ryan could tell you, right. we met some beautiful people that we forged some relationships with. Yeah, I think what was cool, uh, I remember when it, uh, it came out, the first call we got was from Ron Conway, 
who's a big angel investor in the, the Bay Area and uh, uh, is, was really dedicated to stopping gun violence, right? But I don't think before he started talking with Snoop, he was really thinking of gun violence. Uh, he was talking about like mass shootings and stuff like that. He wasn't talking about gun violence that we experience in our communities all the time. So No Guns Allowed went from a song and it became a movement. We did activations at the BET Experience with uh, Maxine Waters and T.I. and Ryan Coogler coming out to talk about it. We did activations in um, New York and in the Bay Area. Um, but it's not just that so Snoop made a song about it. He actually has a solution for that too and that's his Snoop Youth Football League that I know we're going to talk about as well, giving kids an alternative to that. But the conversation that we had uh, backstage at one of his shows when all these billionaires started reaching out to Snoop and uh, Nancy Pelosi and all these politicians started reaching out to Snoop, he, he asked me, he said, why are they reaching out now? He said, I've always said this stuff. And I was like, the difference is you made a song about it. So, um, you know, the power of music obviously has uh, uh, more strength than just saying something in an interview sometime. And we still have a lot of those relationships to this day because of that song. And what do you think brand's responsibility is? Because, you know, sometimes people don't know if the government should be the ones that stands up through local legislation and voting, but then sometimes the voting process is slow. And then we have all these folks in the room with various brands. So. Where do, where do you see the conversation going with what we can do in this room and what brands can do to activate messages around positivity? I think the brand just got to be real with themselves. If there's something that means something and feels good to you, it must be good for you. So you just got to jump into it. You know, it can't be something that's scripted. This has got to be something that's organic that just feels right for you and the brand to be a part of. Because there's going to be a lot of scenarios and situations in life where you have to make a decision. Am I on this side or am I on this side? Or am I going to speak or am I going to be silent? And a lot of times it's confusing for a brand because you don't want to, you know, disrupt your relationships with other people. But I come from the game. I don't give a fuck. So I do what I do. Mm -hmm. And if it's real and I feel like I can help the situation and I feel like I can benefit the situation by my presence and my voice helping it out, then I'm going to do it. And I don't care about the consequences. I'm going to just ride it out because I feel like I was given this voice for a reason to not be quiet, but to be loud with it and to speak for people who can't speak. Yeah. Um, so when it comes to your voice, let's go into the Youth Football League and kind of what's going on um, as Coach Snoop. So you have advocacy, now you pivot towards fatherhood and Coach Snoop and managing um, you know, all these kids' football careers and getting them out of trouble and providing a platform for them. So uh, maybe you could go into that a little bit and then we're going to debut something here today uh, for the audience. Well, this started with my, um, my oldest son playing football, and I was just a father on the sideline, you know, being a, a, a football dad. And then one day, one of the coaches asked me to help, and then from helping, he asked me to coach. And then from there to the next season, to me helping out with the coach, to coaching my son, to looking at all of the kids that my son played with, going back to my community and just watching the parents struggle to put their kids in these football programs that were charging three, $400 per kid. And it was maybe three or four kids in one home and the rent was $1,000 a month, but the football was 300 per kid. So how could mama pay rent and pay for the kids to play football? So I decided to come together with a bunch of my friends who were in the football world, who were in the community, ex-gang members, ex-football coaches. People just had insight and voices that could really control and help me put something together. So we created the Snoop U Football League in 2005. 
And once we did, naturally we was up against a lot of opposition. People were trying to bash me and how could you let this guy coach football? He smokes weed, he does this, he does that. But when I was coaching football, I never had alcohol, I never had weed, none of that around the kids. It was just strictly football and the parents believed in me, the kids believed in me. It's a time when I understood on how to be a father and how to be Snoop Dogg. When I'm coach Snoop, it's different between Snoop Dogg. So at the same time, I was creating lives and opportunities for kids who never went to high school, who parents never had nobody in their family go to college. So as we look from 2005 to 2017, we have 12 kids in the NFL, we got 50 in Division One, and we got one Rhodes Scholar on his way to London right now. And Ryan, you want to set up this clip? Uh, this is a world premiere. Uh, yeah. I want to just talk a little bit about uh, what the audience is going to see today. Yeah, and Snoop, Snoop has amazing ideas, and I'm just blessed to be in a position where I could help him bring some of these ideas to life or expand them. And one of the things that we did a long time ago uh, at Kashmir was we linked Snoop up with Adidas, right? And at Adidas, he's the director of youth football. Um, and I think you got the box out here. He has the yeah, number yeah. one selling cleat from Adidas. Wait till you see this. This is the number one selling cleat. The number one selling cleat from Adidas. Right here. <laughs> Look at that money on it. Got that money on it. Yeah, take a picture. Yeah, take As a picture. As you can see here, <laughs> it's got a $10,000 band around the cleat. And it say gotta on this side and the other side say hustle because you gotta hustle. And it say mind on my money and my money on my mind. Yeah. See, because we got to teach these youngsters. Because see, a lot of times when they make it to the NFL, they get the money, they mess it up, they lose it, they do all kinds of stuff that, you know, throw them off a track or whatnot. So to me, it's our job to raise these kids the right way and to teach them to understand what money is and how to handle the money the right way. Because a lot of times when these kids go to college, They've never had money because you can't get money in college. So when you go to the NFL and you get that big contract, this is your first time touching money. So naturally, you got family members and you got people coming at you with business ideas. But if you're structured and you have a business sense, then you understand what to do with your money when you get in the NFL. I got a good friend named Marshawn Lynch that played with the Oakland Raiders, right? And I'm going to share this story with y'all. Marshawn Lynch been playing in the NFL for 10 years, and he ain't spent $1 of his NFL money. Not one dollar, not one dollar, because he took other businesses and other ways to brand himself with the beast mode and this and that to where he get money off of stuff that don't even got nothing to do with football, but he ain't even touched his football money. So that's just ways that I like to teach the youth on how to handle money, because I know once they get the shoe and they see it, it's a conversation that comes with it. It ain't just the shoe, it's the Snoop Dogg shoe and it got money on it. Well, let me look Snoop Dogg up and see, okay, well, Coach Snoop teaching us how to Get money, have money, hold on to money. Get, have, and hold on. Not get and lose, but get, have, and hold on. You know, that's what they do, so why can't we do it? Right, yeah. And it's, um, it's always better to show it than tell it because we know dealing with Snoop, we got a lot of branding deals and tour dates and all this stuff, but when it's football season, all of that takes uh, a second fiddle to him and those kids. 
Um, we've had relationships with Netflix for a long time at Kashmir. We've been lucky enough to work on Master of None and Orange is the New Black and The Get Down and a million other things. And we're excited to debut the trailer for Snoop's new documentary series called Coach Snoop that's coming out on uh, Netflix after the first of the year. All right. Wait a minute. Before we, before we play the trailer, I got to also tell you, because you might have some people in here that are from the L.A. area, we're also starting this year in the Snoop Youth Football League, the Snoop, the Snoop Special Football for the special needs kids, for the kids from ages five to 18. Yes, so if you got anybody in your family, any kids that's been in the house that's not been able to come outside and have fun, let them kids come outside and have some fun. All right, let's cue that trailer. Life, you know, you're gonna have some tough days, you're gonna have some good days. Uh -huh. But you're not gonna quit, you're gonna keep going. You're gonna keep fighting to get to another day. That's a big win, that's what you do. Start hopping low lows, huh? Can we hold your other hand? <laughs> the city of no pity, man. South Central Los Angeles, man. Here, don't even right now. I want to go to that side. Put your hands up, it's a stick up. It's a stick up. Put your hands up. Time out, time out. <laughs> Back again, y'all. Hey. Fuck that bitch. Get us on a fucking plane and let us go. Before you get to running your fucking mouth in the classroom and all that bullshit, you better fucking think about what's going on. Come over here, I beat your ass right quick. Run the play! Run the damn play! You need to watch what he say. I don't like that shit. Go around disrespecting people, kids. Dog in him over here, man. He fighting. He fighting. Let's go. You tell your mama that Coach Snoop is gonna help take care of that rent for the next six months. That's why I think Coach Snoop deserves the Nobel Peace Prize for the work that he does. Wow, this is a tough season this year, ain't it? That's what life gonna be about. You ain't gonna have no breezes. Now hold on, let me tell you something. Man, they don't never separate you from your glasses. You hear me? Yeah. That's like your superpower. One thing about football, y'all gonna learn, some days you win, some days you lose. It's all about how you take your losses. Take your losses like you take your wins with your head up. That's how you fight, y'all. That's how you fight. Get that motherfucker in there! That's powerful. That's powerful. Those kids need you. That's my baby right there, man. That shit almost made me cry watching that, man. That's my yeah. baby. 
So you don't always work with uh, mainstream content partners. You also have your own double G network. GGN News Network. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the GGN. You guys got to check it out if you haven't. It's really remarkable. Uh, maybe you could talk about. You have every guest on there. They come by. They sit down. Uh, they, they smoke Man. up with you. They laugh about it. They talk about it. It started from a, a Pepsi commercial that we had did, and um, we had like a space in the back of Kashmir. And I had an idea that I was sick of watching news because every time I was watching news, it was always coming on with some bad news, somebody getting killed, or a tornado, or a hurricane. It was never just, hey, 11 o'clock news today. It was a beautiful day. It was, <laughs> nobody got killed. It was, we had fun. So I was like, you know what? I need to put together a news show. But I was being funny where it was just all about fun and no negativity. So I came on with me, Bishop Magic Wand, Andy Milanakis. Like, that was my cast, right? <laughs> and it was like, in the beginning, I had to fill it out. But once I figured it out and got it right, it became good content, and people started coming on and doing interviews with me. So it was like a late-night show where you could get interviewed. I had weather girls on there, and my weather, oh, Lord, have mercy, the weather, my God. <laughs> uh, it was just different components of me being me, but bringing some good news to you, bringing some global good news. Some, some news that was always happy and never negative and always upbeat and giving you something to look forward to watching that can make you smile instead of making you frown. That's what the GGN News was always about. And now we, we've been picked up by Jimmy Kimmel. I'd have been on his show like 15, 20 times. It had been spent off and we didn't branded it like all different kinds of ways. Whereas Planet, Planet Earth is a show segment that I do where I watch animals and I do like the National Geographic. <laughs> But from my perspective, you understand me? Yeah. And that was created on the GGN, but it spent off to where Jimmy Kimmel picked yep. it up and put it on ABC. Now, how did my show that has no network get a spinoff on ABC? That's branded. Right. Because it was branded so good to where they felt like we need that on our network. So now the next play is, Jimmy, I need you as an executive producer on something I'm finna go do that I own. <clears throat> Back to that word again, ownership that I own, that I need you for, like you needed me for. Don't forget your friends. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, let's show the audience uh, what your voice sounds like with some planet Earth. <laughs> oh, there we go. Little cute little lizard. What the hell is going on? He's being watched. Snakes are straight assholes. You can tell the way they look at them. They plotting right now. See how they got their necks up? That means they coming to get it. The lizard don't even see what's happening. But you understand me? One thing about a lizard, I think he a Geico. If he a Geico, he got a 15% chance of making up out of here. Oh, he peep game right now. He's seen it. He's seen it. You watch. Oh, get out of there, man. Go. Did you see the feet on him? Oh, they coming from everywhere, cuz. This is crazy. Oh, that's tough. He has just entered into Snakeville, USA. This snake's coming from all angles. As he dips and dashes, he makes a getaway, jumps into the arms of a thick snake to twist his own, but they twisting themselves. Find it, find the loophole. Yeah! Now you gotta find your way to the top of the mountain. <laughs> I mean, 
That's that's what we love about Snoop, right? He could he could do a he could do a VO for for everything and whatever it is, you want to hear the Snoop Dogg perspective of it. We've been able, like he mentioned, to partner with Jimmy Kimmel. We've been able to partner with Revolt TV, um, and now GGN. Every uh, time it debuts, it debuts exclusively on uh, Apple Music as well. So it's again, it's taking something that he said. Uh, just started on a whim in the back of Kashmir and building it out um, into a successful business and a successful marketing tool. Mm -hmm. How do you know which brands to pick and which to pass on? This, this, that was a great question, even before you asked it. <laughs> that was a great question. Now, let me tell you the Snoop Dogg train of thought. Yeah. It has to be fun. It has to be something that I like. It has to be a whole lot of money connected to it. <laughs> and I got to look good while I'm doing it. Mm -hmm. And you got to own some of it, too. The ownership, it was always, that was the part I ain't had to sell you. You already know that. <laughs> I told you that earlier, remember? Yeah, you did, yeah. You have, a, uh, you have a segment on GGN called Rapid Fire. It's called Real Trigger-ish. Yeah. That would be the uh, edited version <laughs> of what it's called. Um, so we're just going to play a little Q&A here just to get a this or that. Uh, would you rather play for the Steelers or the Lakers? What year? <laughs> 2010. Lakers. Okay, cool. Uh, what's your favorite bar, LeVar or Lonzo? Yeah. Oh, what's... it's got to be LeVar, man. Yeah. <laughs> Big Bowler brand, baby. <laughs> your favorite greenery, Kale or Mary Jane? Oh. God. <laughs> Well, I never. Uh, top five MCs that are alive. Slick Rick. Mm -hmm. Ice Cube. Rakim. Oh, they gonna hate me. Uh, Ice tea, I gotta keep it West Coast. Yeah. And then the last one, me. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna also ask you your top five favorite comedians. Mm. Richard Pryor, Eddie Murphy, Red Fox, Martin Lawrence, and uh, Oh, Rudy Ray Moore. Don't mind. Uh, what's your biggest fear? My biggest fear? Mm-hmm. That I get fat. <laughs> That's my biggest fear, too. <laughs> Imagine a fat Snoop Dogg. Well, y'all know, back in... 19, 1997, well, I was a shit. Your favorite verse you ever spit? Mm. Mm. Damn. Ooh. Uh, probably G-Thing. Yeah. Yeah, I like G-Thing. Because a baby can learn that one, two. Three, Three to the, the four. Oh, Snoop Dogg. Can we do a sing-along? Let's go. Ready? Ready? 
See, see how easy that was? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, boys and girls. Amen. Uh, what is the first thing you do every morning when you wake up? <laughs> Next question. Um, <laughs> I, I pray while smoking a blunt. <laughs> uh, what was the last picture you took on your cell phone? Oh, when I was coming in here, I had to make sure I looked right, so I did the, uh, the selfie game so I could <laughs> check my hair, check my face, make sure I didn't need no makeup, make sure my glasses was right. Bam. <laughs> Indica or sativa? Indica. Okay. <laughs> All right, we're going to transfer over to uh, Happy Socks and uh, talk a little bit about what you're doing there. So, uh, people may not know you are a remarkable artist, canvas, oil paint on canvas, is that your, your yeah, favorite? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm an abstract artist. I just, whatever comes to mind, whatever I'm on, I just put it on the paint, put it on the, just put it up there. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. That's what it is, that's what you think it is? That's what it is. And uh, you, were, you were commissioned by the Versace Hotel in Australia to design the paintings and the artwork for the lobby. Yes, now you know what's crazy about that. The Versace Hotel in Australia, I was staying there, we was on a, um, a tour, and I decided I wanted to paint. Something just came on me, I was like, go get me some canvas and some brushes, I feel like Picasso today. <laughs> so I started painting, right, and I, man, I put everything on it. I went and bought sprinkles and sparkles. I even put some, I put some ashes from the smoke I was smoking on it. I just was having fun, right? So when I finished with it, I stood it up and I looked at it, I was like, man, this is magnifico. <laughs> so then the hotel, the hotel came and they was like, Snoop, this is amazing. We would like to keep your art here and put it in the display. It, it'd be amazing for us to have it here. I'm like, shit, if I could go ahead. <laughs> so my artwork is in a seven-star hotel at the Versace Hotel. When you walk in, you see my art next to Van Gogh and Basquiat and all them fools, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, that's fresh, that's fresh. Let's uh, clip that uh, Happy Socks clip. Yeah, show some artwork. For many years, I've always felt like painting was something that I wanted to do, but I just never had time to do it. And I felt like it could be a great expression to explain the music and the things that I went through in life. Sometimes. The music and my life don't explain exactly what I'm going through. So I felt like if I was to paint and you know, put up certain visions that I was you know, seeing in my head, they would give you a better depiction of who I am or what I'm going through or the persona that you don't know about. We're here today because Happy Socks allowed me the opportunity to become, you know, very creative and to do my thing with canvas, paint, and see what we come up with and collaborate. That's amazing. You guys should check out that full video. I hate when y'all do that, when y'all, what's that called, a cliffhanger? Yeah. <laughs> Motherfucker be like, oh, yeah. <laughs> why y'all just didn't play the whole goddamn video? <laughs> Man, that's just me, man. I'm sorry. Yeah. You go to. Uh, you can all check go it to, out. Uh, go to Snoop's you can go Facebook. To, uh, go to. Uh, uh. <laughs> TGF. <laughs> it was right there, though. Why we had to go somewhere? <laughs> it was right there.
So that's, <laughs> that's what's cool about uh, working with Snoop is you could call uh, a variety of companies and say, hey, we work with Snoop Dogg, we got an idea. And that'll get you a meeting 99% of the time. <laughs> that other 1% is just some hater somewhere, right? So, you know, again, it's, it's taking creativity, it's taking passion, it's taking something that expanding who Snoop is and our understanding of Snoop and being able to put it together with a brand that fits um, and through a medium that, that's perfect for it and help uh, spread the word. Mm -hmm. So it's 21 years um, since Tupac passed away this week. And uh, I know that um, he was recently went to the Hall of Fame, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and you worked together. Uh, you read his induction speech, and I know, Ryan, you worked to write that. Maybe you could just unpack that moment and really what that meant for the culture, really to go into the Hall of Fame, and also translating the, the human that was Tupac versus the you know, superhero or the, the image that we have of him um, that you knew so well. Well, they say that, you know, <clears throat> when you make it to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, you made it. You know, that's the, uh, the pinnacle of all music. You know, rock and roll has always been upheld as the great American forefront, but in my mind, hip-hop is the new rock and roll. You understand me? That's why they had to open the door. Yeah, I, I, and it's, 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 no, it's with no disrespect, it's just the truth. You know, that's why they had to open the door for N.W.A to get them in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame first, and then they allowed Tupac to come into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which is saying that the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame get it. They understand that these are rock stars, that Tupac was a rock star. He wasn't just a rap star, he was a humanitarian. He was a person who cared. His music was so ahead of his time. When he wrote positive records, you didn't even pay attention to him till he was dead. When he wrote records that could really change the world, you didn't pay attention to him till he was dead. When he made records that was violent and angry, you loved them records. But he made records about love and peace and changing the world before he got to that. That's who he was. They turned him into that. And they know who they is because they do what they do. So I say that him going into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame was beautiful for hip hop because it gave me a chance to speak from a perspective of somebody that I knew who was my friend, who I had a real relationship with, and I could show that he was a person that he wasn't just a superhero, that he wasn't some super thug that they thought he was, but he was a person who had feelings, who loved, who cared, who cried, who was there. Now he's not here. So this is how we're gonna remember him for the way he was when he was here and reflect on the beautiful things that he brought to this world. And I was glad that they was able to you know, allow me and my man Ryan to do it because I didn't really trust nobody with my emotions with Tupac because I don't really like to speak on that because that was my friend. You know what I'm saying? So I don't like to make money off of my friends, and to me, that's a money play. When people want to interview me about my relationship with Tupac and how this was, it's a money play. That's secrecy. That's between me and my homeboy. When I decide to tell Snoop Dogg life story, then you'll get a chance to understand what our dynamic was. Until then, it's my secret. You've been listening to the Disruptor Series podcast brought to you by TBWA Shiat Day New York. Craving more disruption? Visit us at tbwashiatny.tumblr.com. <laughs>